Hello, my friends. How are you today? You're listening to the St. Mark Bemidji Sunday Edition Podcast, a podcast about redemption through the glory of Christ Jesus, our risen Savior. If you enjoy what you've heard today, you might also enjoy our weekday devotions, what you will automatically get if you subscribe to the podcast. Additionally, you might consider sharing it with a friend. Each and every podcast has a share link in its description, which can be found in the same podcast app that you're listening to right now. I've tried to make the link to it obvious. Let me know if it isn't at john.kirk at stmarksbemidji.org. Share it because it's studying the Word of God. And faith in Jesus and His perfect life, death, and resurrection comes by hearing the Word. And salvation comes to us by faith in Jesus alone. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's John 3.16. You've heard it before, you've seen it on signs before, but it's not just something to write on a billboard. It has profound eternal implications for people. Why would you not tell everyone? Today's meditation is titled, Witness, and it's based on Matthew 26. Pastor let me off easy this week, and he reads the words from today's gospel meditation at the beginning of the sermon. So may God bless our time together, pondering his word. Those who arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Though many false witnesses came forward, finally two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, From now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Now Peter was sitting in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were there with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I know what you're ta- I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with, the, with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you, were one of, you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The Gospel of the Lord. A man from Galilee stands there surrounded by a hostile crowd 
being pushed and questioned and accused. What thoughts are running through his mind? He is on trial. He's been called to the stand. What testimony will he give? While that's happening, inside the courtyard of the high priest's house, a very similar scene is playing out. Jesus on trial before the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. You see the contrast that Matthew sets up in his Gospel here? He puts these two accounts, the trial of Peter and the, and the trial of Jesus, in juxtaposition right next to each other. He sets these scenes side by side, these two accounts, and leaves us to consider them. To consider our own testimony. When the world puts us on trial, Let's start with the guy inside. The teacher from Galilee. Jesus knew this moment was coming. It was on His mind as He prayed fervently in Gethsemane a few hours earlier. He saw it drawing near when He went with that mob that drug Him off after all of His disciples had, fr- had fled. In fact, this moment was ordained before time began that God would stand on trial before the Sanhedrin in the wee hours of that Friday morning. Although, what was going on outside in the courtyard was more of a trial than what was going on inside the high priest's house. Trial is a strong word. More like sham. Kangaroo court. Parade of liars. One after another, none none of them can get their story straight. And the only accusation that sticks is something that Jesus actually said. I will destroy this temple and raise it again in three days. But these people didn't care to understand what Jesus meant or to think about what He was actually saying. And Jesus refuses to be drawn into this foolishness to even give their their arguments or their accusations the dignity of a response. But the high priest there puts him under oath nonetheless. And when he is put under oath, and he is asked if he is the Messiah, the Son of God, he calmly and firmly responds. His testimony is the truth. I am, he says. I am the Son of God. Now, turn the camera around, if you will, to what's going on outside in the courtyard. Not the teacher, but the fisherman from Galilee. He too had been warned about this moment. Jesus had predicted it earlier that evening, but Peter brushed the warning aside with some boldness and some boisterous words saying things like, I'll go to death with you if I have to, Lord. I'll go to prison with you if I have to, Lord. That trial, though, is not conducted by a ruling council, but by a servant girl. 
You were with Jesus too. No, he says, and he tries to sneak away. Matthew records that another servant girl said the same thing. And the others, other, other, other uh, bystanders join in too. And it's not a judge or a high priest that puts Peter under oath. Peter puts himself under oath. I am not, I was not, I don't know the man. What's Peter afraid of? Why is that his testimony? After all the things that he had seen in Jesus' ministry, why is this his testimony? Well, let's be fair to Peter. We could exaggerate and contrast Jesus boldly confessing before powerful, violent men who He is. We could contrast that with Peter melting at the words of a servant girl. But there's a little bit more to it there, and I don't think that that's entirely fair to Peter. Because Matthew chapter 26, verse 58 records that there were guards out there in the, court, or in the courtyard as well. In every question of the servant girl and every question of the bystander and the, 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 the noise of those people questioning him could have easily alerted them to who he was. All of it was uh, every voice accusing Peter raised the risk that the guards would perk up their ears and arrest him just like they had arrested Jesus. That's not nothing. That's no light threat. But still, Peter's denial outside the courtroom was false testimony. It was false testimony just as wicked as the false testimony that was going on inside the, the, the Sanhedrin that day. Now, Peter's denial, regardless of how you look at it, makes us ask ourselves and makes us think about our own situations. What was Peter afraid of? Well, what are we afraid of? The world puts us on trial too, and I think we all know how it feels to be surrounded by hostile voices, maybe to be cornered by a question. And perhaps you feel that when you're with your friends or your family, they'll ask you why you don't do some of the things or talk the way that, that they do or do everything that everybody else does, and you tried to find excuses that they might accept. You feel that when people at work maybe start talking about religion or faith, that uh, instead of standing up for what we believe, it's easier or more convenient to keep our teeth together or to look for a chance like Peter did to slip away. Or when somebody that you know asks you why you believe what you believe, is our first instinct, more often than not, to try to change the topic or to discuss something else, some lighter fare? What are we afraid of? Is it considered being weird? Losing some credibility? Is it getting laughed at? Is it, it certainly isn't being arrested or imprisoned for our faith, at least not in this country, not yet. When you put our position next to Peter's position, we melt under far less pressure than what Peter did. 
But let's be fair to ourselves. The pressure still is real. There is the fear of losing a friendship. There is the fear of being singled out. There is the fear of being looked down upon. Those are real fears of loss. I'm not asking what you're afraid of as if to say, toughen up, it's not that bad. That's not the point of this self-examination. Rather, this. It's knowing that being associated with Jesus can bring real pain. But what's the worst thought? Being afraid? Bring with Jesus now? In the here and now? Or suffering for eternity? In a moment of pressure, we might think that we're better off not being counted as one of Jesus' disciples. But that certainly would not be the case if Jesus were to come back in glory tonight. You know, I wish I could have seen Jesus' face when he shot that glance back across the courtyard to Peter. We don't know exactly what that looked like. But the historian uh, Luke does. He says, when the, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Well, what was the expression on his face, do you suppose? Was it disappointment? Was it sadness? Was it covered in blood and spit and bruises? Was there a love in Jesus' eyes that Peter knows, that Peter knew that he didn't deserve? Whatever it was, it prompted Peter to run away and bawl his eyes out. I imagine that face. I've probably seen one like it before, and so have you. Parents and teachers, when we've buckled under pressure and did something that we knew was wrong, something that we had been warned about, something that we had been told about, I've imagined that look on the face of my Savior many times in my own life, and I'm sure you have in yours, in those moments where you think back, I had an opportunity. I had an opportunity. The door was open. I could have shared my faith. I could have said something. Stay. Look back across that courtyard at your Savior. And realize that we too, like Peter, have a reason to weep. We've been, af been afraid to associate ourselves with Jesus. But let's not be afraid to run away. Let's not run away from that face. Jesus would have us stay and He would have us look. Because whatever that expression is on His face, it's calling you back to Him. Even when we fail to claim Jesus as our own, guess what? He still wants to claim you as His. He shows you the blood and the bruises, not to shame us, but to reveal just how much He loves us. What He endured for us. What abuse He's absorbed on our behalf. This is the Son of God who answers to no one, but stands in trial in front of the Sanhedrin to save us. To save them. Stand and look and listen 
to Jesus and how he testifies about himself. He says that he is the Messiah. He is God's anointed one. The chosen one to take our place. He's the one that stepped down into the water for us at his baptism. That's how our baptisms connect us to him. Which means what he says and what he does before the high priest counts for you. For all the times that we've been called to account, and we've failed. That's what's so beautiful about this juxtaposition. You see all the, you, know, you see ourselves in Peter in the denial, and you see the perfect, the perfect Son of God standing holy and blameless. And it's like, which one is which? Which one is me? Well, to our own eyes, we'd say, yeah, I identify with Peter. But when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees his perfect testimony. He sees his perfection in our place. That too is what I mean when I said, what are we afraid of? What should we be afraid of? This is the King of kings, the Holy Son of God. That's our testimony. We're with him. How could we be embarrassed to admit that we love the one who loved us so much to suffer in this way, to stand in our place? We have nothing to fear if the one that lives and reigns and rules over all things, the one who has promised to come back to take us to be with him. And maybe part of the challenge is that, I don't know, sometimes I think Christians feel as though they get caught off guard or. They feel as though that somebody backs them into a corner with a question and they don't feel prepared to answer. We're just going about our business and suddenly maybe we're thrown onto the witness stand. But again, we shouldn't be surprised. And that shouldn't change our testimony about who we are and about who our Lord is. It doesn't really in the end matter all that much because we've been warned. Jesus told us that we will face tough questions. Jesus warned us that we will be put on trial either officially or unofficially. We will be singled out for our connection to Jesus. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. I like to think of it this way. How do they recognize Peter in the courtyard? What was the thing that gave him away as a follower of Jesus? It was his accent. The way that he spoke. A Texan in Minnesota, if you will. Howdy. Let it be our prayer that our accent gives us a way too. That the way that we speak about our Savior, the testimony that we give, singles us out as well. That we know that we have a Lord who has suffered for us, the one that has called us to be his own, that sets us apart and makes us different. May we be so blessed as to have people accuse us of being associated with Jesus. And yeah, sometimes that will mean hardship, but there is no greater honor. The Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah who comes to save us will come again back in glory. I'm with him. He calls me His own. That's our testimony. Amen. I sincerely pray that today's meditation on God's Word has enriched you. Didn't get enough of God's Word? Are you missing out on that in-person fellowship? 
We hold divine services right here in Bemidji, Minnesota at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Sunday school and adult Bible study is also offered between our Sunday services at 9.15 a.m. We also live stream our Sunday divine service at 8 a.m. You can ensure that you are notified when a stream is live or a new podcast is available by subscribing to our YouTube channel. It's easy to find by typing in St. Mark Bemidji in the search bar and clicking on the subscribe button. Want to listen to meditations the way I do every day? Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Go to podcastindex.org and search for St. Mark Bemidji to find us. This is our fifth year producing this podcast, and there is a large archive of devotional material online available if you want to learn more about God and His Word. Visit www.stmarksbemidji.org or look at the show notes in this podcast for a link to this and many other meditations on God. If you have any questions or you would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website, which is once again www.stmarksbemidji.org. May God bless the rest of your day.